Well, this is the uh, fourth and final week of a series entitled Citizens and Aliens. Just as I prayed and just as you know by living in the world, not an easy task. To live lives, I want you to think about live lives that visibly express and reveal the presence of God in you. Is that an easy thing to do? If it is, tell me how you figured it out. It's difficult. And that's why I want to take a moment this morning. And I want to thank you for the ways in which you do that. Commend you, applaud you. For being Jesus in the way that he leads you in a lost and hurting world that he deeply loves. And to know he has more planned, good things, great things planned for you. If you just pick up your feet and you follow him, if you just strive to be, to be full of grace, to be full of truth. And you know, the world likes half of that statement. Always seeking, wanting grace, not so much the truth part. I wouldn't say that it's easy to give grace when we think people don't deserve it. I know better than that. But it takes courage and it takes boldness. It takes guts. I had a doctor that, um, with my doctor in Fremont, that said it takes intestinal fortitude. And that's what this series is all about. And before you can be, you need to realize, as we covered in week one, that you are. We looked at truth from 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 12. That if you have the grace of Jesus Christ in you, you are different. You have been redeemed. You are chosen. And I don't know what that means to you. I know what it means to God. And why it is that he revealed it to you. Because he knows who you are and who you can be. It's it's profound. And moving along with that week too. Not knowing only who you are, but that he's called you and he will empower you and help you navigate this thing called life, culture. All of its practices, values, and laws. As a follower of Jesus, truth from 1 Peter 3, 13 and 17. It's not just that he's there for you. It's that he's in you. And he'll help you pick up your feet every step of the way to be who he's created, redeemed, gifted, and called you to be. Even though it's incredibly difficult in this lost and hurting world. He's called us to be foolish for him rather than being wise in the world. There's a challenge as well. What does that mean? What does that look like? Set apart different aliens. I, I think we know. 
I think we know what culture says and what the world says is acceptable and right, and this is who you need to be if you're going to be wise. We talked about the difference of that. Wisdom according to the Word of God is what? Fearing the Lord, awe and reverence, picking up our feet and following Him because we know Him. And we choose to do what is right and to live out His truth. Even if people call us fools for it, that's okay. 1 Corinthians 1, read those words again. And then today, we're going to look at truth, kind of like the foundational thing, fixing our eyes on Jesus. You want to know how to be an alien? Fix your eyes on Jesus. He shares some incredible and powerful truth, and the reason for it, by the way, and we're going to look at all of that in the verses from Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Powerful, life-giving truth. I invite you to read them with me now. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that your heart will not grow weary, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is the word of God. We've written our hearts and lived in our lives. There's a lot to think about there. And the first is this. Um, there's a challenge here, right? There's encouragement as well, but there's a challenge. We'll get to that in a minute. But why the challenge? Why would God ask you or want you to do what it is that he's calling us all to do in this passage? Well, I think he gives the answer. It's found in our, our purpose statement based on Matthew 28, 18 to 20, and it's also here in the first few words. And I want you to think about this. What does it say? It says, therefore, sense. Do you see that word sense? Sense what? Since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, right? So since, it's, it, therefore, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, this is what I want you to do. I want you to throw off things that hinder sin that so easily entangles, run a race from perseverance. I want you to fix your eyes on Jesus, the perfecter of your faith, and consider who it is that he is, the example that he set. Since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, I got a question for you. Who are your witnesses? Have you thought about that? I think if we considered this a lot more, we'd live different lives, all of us. I thought about that a lot as I studied this passage and this truth. And a cloud of witnesses, what does that mean? And just speaking about the people that are, that are the word says it, surrounded people that are surrounding you in your life, who are they? Well, you're going to be able to come up with some right away. 
I think it includes people who have surrounded us as well. I think about people in the past who've been influential in our lives, people who molded us, shaped us, people that we've learned from, people that have been examples, mentors, teachers, those witnesses in our life. I think about the present tense. And that would include just about everybody, right? Let's just start with your family. Children, grandchildren. Witnesses of you. Who it is that you're being. What it is that you're saying. What it is that you're doing. Witnesses. Sense you're surrounded by those witnesses. This is what I want you to do. This is who I want you to be. Do you see what God's saying? And it goes so far beyond family. Friendships. Take any relationship that you have that you'd consider somebody a friend and the way that you interact with them and engage with them, the things that you do with them. Sense they are your witnesses. Sense you have influence. Since they see you, since they experience you, since. And it goes beyond that, doesn't it? People that you work with that are just casual acquaintances. Maybe you go out for coffee with them, maybe you don't. Maybe you hang out with them, maybe you just talk to them every now and then. Who knows? They know of you more than they know you, but they're still looking, they're still watching. You are still somebody who is a witness to them, right? Is that not true? What about people that you see maybe casually or or you just bump into or encounter? Maybe somebody that you're sitting in a restaurant and they're three tables over. Maybe you shared a flight with somebody. They sat behind you or in front of you. You don't know them from Adam as the saying goes, but your behavior, who it is that you are, spoke to them even if They didn't know who you were. On and on the list goes. Surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Do you see why God wants you to think about who it is that you are all of the time as a follower of Jesus? You see, we never know what it is that what we say or do, how it's going to impact somebody And we don't think about it often enough when we think about family and friends and people that do know us and people that know of us. I think about that all the time. Is this who we would be? Is this how we would act? Is this a behavior? If if we realized that they're watching, that they're thinking, that they're gauging, taking notes on what it means to be a follower of Jesus by our actions and our behavior, I think we probably would be a little more mindful. And, and that's what the truth is saying. Since, since that's true, I want you to be an alien. I want you to live differently. I want you to be set apart. I want it to be so that when people see you, they see me. Does it happen? Tremendous responsibility, I know. But so incredibly powerful. We'll get to that more at the end when we look at the example of Jesus. Sense 
Think about your witnesses. It's no accident. And you know, I, I plan these things out once in advance. It's no accident that we have this passage and we have who over here leading us in worship. We have who standing up here says, I want to partner with you in ministry. No accident. It's profound. It's powerful. It's the hand of God. So, sense. I, I, I think I, I could kind of like keep going with that, but you get it. Since there are people around you looking to see Jesus in your heart and in your life, and you know the world's number one charge against the church is what? Hypocrisy. I remember a saying by George Carlin. Anybody remember him? He was a comedian. He was dead set against Christianity. He said this once, why would I ever want to be a Christian because they eat each other alive? Who are our witnesses? I want you to think about that. And then here it is. Since we have these witnesses, this is what I want you to do. God speaking, not Pastor Kevin. I want you to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And I want you to run your race with perseverance. Three things. Throw off what hinders. Throw off the sin that easily entangles and run your race with perseverance. And I could spend a lot of time going through this and I just ask you to think about it. What does that mean to you in your life? What are the things that are hinders or obstacles to you following and being Jesus? I, I know you can name them. You can take the time to think about them. I mean, and I, I said uh, a couple weeks ago, Satan's really good, and what I mean by that is he's really bad at making our lives a mess. And he does it by stuff, problems, issues. What are they? What derails you or takes your focus off of God more more in that in a moment as well and then the sin that so easily entangles what is that now again I know that all of you are far better than me but the word says for all have fallen short of the glory of God all sin we all have our sin we all have things that entangle us you know what yours are I know what mine is be honest about it. God already knows. And do you see what he's saying? Get rid of it. Now's a good time. Lay it at his feet. Pray it through. You can do even while I'm still speaking. He'll, he'll hear you. There's this thing called what? Confession and repentance. A saying that Jesus spoke, my truth will do what? Set you free. And I want you to get this. The reason that there's those hindrances, the reason that there's those problems, the reason that there's that sin 
is so that you will not be set apart, so that you will not be an alien, so that you will not win people for Christ and equip them to serve, nor will we. That's what he wants. Chaos. Problems, issues. A mess. The only redeeming factor, really, in all of that is this, that if that's true in our lives, hopefully it's because we got God's attention or Satan's attention. He wants to bring so much garbage and crap into your life that you can't even think about God. And he wants to bring it into his church. And he calls us to do what? Throw off everything that hinders, the sin that so easily entangles, and to run our race with perseverance. You can pray through that and think about what that might mean for you, for us. It's his call, it's his promise. And I love truth that's found in Isaiah. I said it's encouraging. It is. It's an incredibly encouraging passage. I don't know if we but do that, he'll take care of the rest, right? I think of the words of Isaiah 40. I love this passage. I have, um, I love them all, but I have this passage in my office, and I look at it often. Here's what it says. Isaiah 40, maybe you know it, verses 28 to 31. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary in his understanding. No one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, and he increases the power of the weak. Even you grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, here it is, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength, and they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary, and they will walk and not be faint. What an incredible promise. And that's what happens when you stay focused on Jesus and that's what verse 2 is about let us fix our eyes on Jesus fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God fixing our eyes on Jesus focus 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 We're encouraged by the grace of God in Jesus Christ in our lives. I, I, I hope that you, you are filled with humility and gratitude to God, that he chose you to set you apart as an alien, and that he chose you to be a witness, salt and light in a lost and hurting world to be different. He chose you, each and every person here who's given their heart and their life to Jesus. He chose you. And he's just asking you to keep your eyes on him. Keep your eyes on him. His grace to encourage you, his truth to empower you. To be led. 
to be equipped. You know, the other night I was watching um, the Chosen series again. Sometimes we do a Chosen binge and watch two or three uh, episodes in the season. We're at the end and we watched um, the last uh, episode in season three. And they got season four in the works. And it included what I consider to be one of the most powerful um, scenes in all of Scripture. And it's after Jesus had fed the 5,000, and he um, says, I'm going to withdraw. You guys get in the boat. You go across the Sea of Galilee. It's, it's in Matthew 14. Anybody remember it? And so the disciples are in there, and what happens? A storm kicks up, right? A storm kicks up. Problem. And so they're trying. They can't hardly even oar anymore. And then they happen to look out. Don't know who did it first. But they look out and they see this figure on the water. They think it's what? A ghost. Well, the figure gets closer. They realize it's who? Jesus. You remember what happens next? I mean, you just picture and vision. Get yourself there. I mean, it's windy. It's raining. It's dark. They probably can't see Jesus' face. And they're just wondering, is it really him? And Peter calls out, and do you remember what Jesus says to him? If you want to know it's me, get out of the boat. Come and follow me. Walk to me. Come. Peter does. I think about that often. Twelve in a boat, one gets out. To being in the presence and following Jesus is a place that many people think about and desire to go, but few actually have the faith and the courage to go there. Peter does. He gets out of the boat. And you remember what happens in the rest of that story? This is about fixing your eyes on Jesus. He gets out of the boat, and he starts to walk. And I want you to think about this. And that's what I loved about seeing that scene played out. The waves are there, and Peter is just kind of like trying to, to get a sense of his footing. And he's walking towards Jesus. And he's getting there. He's getting close. And what happens? Do you remember? Do you remember the story? He takes his eyes off of Jesus. He, I just envision that he's right there. Maybe he's this close. And all of a sudden, he doesn't look at Jesus anymore. He looks, and what does he see? The wind and the waves. And his mind and his heart is flooded with all kinds of thoughts. And I share this with you because I think in a lot of ways we're right there with Peter. Because in the storms of life, we think about two things often. Rather than keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, we think about the problem. We think about all of the waves in the storm. And that becomes what we fixate on. That's what we think about. And it consumes us and it it doesn't allow us to experience the goodness that's right there. And the other is self. 
Peter thinks, I think in that moment of his own humanity, the danger that he's in. Maybe he's thinking, am I nuts? What did I do? All of the incapability. And he starts to sink. And you know what happens? Jesus grabs his hand. That's why I think he's so close. Maybe he takes a couple steps, but he grabs his hand and he pulls him up. And I'll never forget these words. Oh, you of little faith. You were so close. Have you ever had God say that to you? Why, oh, why did you take your eyes off of me? Why did you let this thing that you're dealing with become so huge and big and get in the way of what it means to follow me? Why? Why did you focus on your own desires, needs, and capabilities? Why? And I don't think in this moment with that story in, in, in Matthew 14, I don't think he's chastising Peter. I think he's encouraging him and saying, look, you almost had it. You almost demonstrated my presence and power in you by just walking to me and taking my hand. But instead, you chose to take your eyes off of me. Do you hear what he's saying to you? Fix your eyes on Jesus the author of your faith, the place that it all began for you in terms of changing your heart and your life and your eternity. Fix your eyes on Jesus. There are going to be a lot of things that happen in this world, things that you don't like. You're going to have a lot of problems in life. You're going to have things that don't go your way. He just wants you to watch, to look, to be, to fix your eyes on him author of your faith and the perfecter of it. The one who will continue to change, transform, empower you to do good and great and wonderful things. That's the message I surely love about what God says to people who have chosen today to partner with us in the gospel. And the message that he gives to the entire body of Jesus Christ. Fix your eyes on me. I have a purpose, and I have plans for you. Verse 3 speaks about considering the example. I think about this a lot as well. I think about the challenge that Jesus gives us all in Luke 9, verses 23 to 27. You know the one about picking up your cross. You remember what he says in there as well? Those that are willing to lose their lives will save it. Those that want to save it, their life, will lose it. Fixing eyes, considering Jesus. He came for one reason. 
to do the will of his heavenly father. And that will was to share truth about his grace and his love for you and for me. To train and equip the disciples to go out and turn the world upside down, and they did. Winning people for Christ, equipping them to serve. And he makes it really, really clear when he says, consider the example. Yes, I think there's certainly a strong message about grace and forgiveness in there. How forgiving, how grace-filled are we going to be? Are we going to forgive like the world forgives? Give grace like the world gives? Are we going to be aliens? I think about truth. The great charge and knock on the church, hypocrisy. You're no different than us. So that makes your God no different. I think about rightness in relationships. And what it is that Jesus gave up. I want you to think, gave up, sacrifice, his whole life. And there's a good question in there for us all. What are we willing to give up? for the lost. We already have it all if we know Jesus. What are we willing to give up for the sake of somebody's eternity? What does that mean to us? I want you to think of your witnesses again. Your children, your grandchildren. What are you willing to do for them? To have them know Jesus Christ. Maybe it's a son or a daughter that's not here. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a close friend. Maybe it's somebody at work that you've been praying for. What are you willing to give up? Consider Jesus and all that he gave up for you. Pretty profound to think about. I want to close by um, saying something that is very personal. Thought of the words of what a guy named Dan Ackerman, some of you know who I'm speaking of, it's the head of Alliance, was. He said the moment that he preached his first sermon, there are people who didn't like him. I want to say to you, the body of Jesus Christ, I know there's things that I have done that you don't like. One of the sayings about pastors is is they have a different ministry description for every person in the church. So even though I have a formal one, I have the one that you have. And there's a lot of things that you've written on it things that you think I ought to be doing. And if I was a good pastor, I would be. I understand that. I understand that there's been times when you've been more than disappointed. 
because I didn't do those things. And I wasn't who you wanted me to be. And as long as I continue to be blessed to serve here, whatever that means, could be a week, could be however long, that's going to continue. But I will tell you this, and I'll swear on it on the Bible, <laughs> my eyes are fixed on Jesus. There was a study done of 14,000 different churches called Natural Church Development. They studied churches up and down, every way, shape, or form. You know what they discovered? There is something that each and every church that wasn't growing, and when I say that, it's numerically, spiritually, there was one thing that they had in common. Do you know what it was? They lost their heart for the lost. They decided that their needs and who it is that they were going to be was much more important than go ye therefore. As a pastor, um, it's always burned in my heart. And I can tell you it still does. I live to share Jesus. Do I do it perfectly and well? No, of course not. But that's the purpose and the mission he gives to the church, right? We say it. Winning people for Christ, there it is. Equipping them to serve. So how about it? Are you in with Jesus, with God? Yeah. Are you willing to throw off the things that hinder? The sin that so easily entangles? Are you willing to run with perseverance and fix your eyes on Jesus? To the point of doing things that you don't like to do or that you don't want to do. And by the way, as many of you know, uh, hasn't been an easy road for me either, but it's not about me. It's about Jesus. I hope you're all in. Because that's why he brought us together. To be, to be aliens in a lost and hurting world, salt and light. Think about it, pray about it. And then I trust and hope. Go out and be. Yeah. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for your truth. I thank you for your word and the way in which it encourages us. Lord, I thank you. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. For all the people that understand that here in this place. That love you and are being people who have set things aside. Thrown things off and just want to focus. Just want to focus on winning people for Christ and equipping them to serve. I give you praise for them. I give you praise for the leadership. The elders and the deacons in their hearts. give you praise for the way in which you shelter us from the evil one and the way in which, oh God, you help us to be power, strength, 
giftedness, O Lord, to rise up, to be salt and light. I thank you for each person. The way they do that, despite the torrent, the torrent that Satan brings in schools, at work, wherever it is that we can pick up our feet and walk. Lord, I pray for protection and I pray for your goodness, your grace, and your truth. Help us to live, O oh God, as citizens and as aliens. You are a good, good Father. It is in Christ alone that we do these things and praise you for the 10,000 reasons that we have, an infinite number, to continue to fix our eyes on you and to walk with you. In your name we pray.